The only thing I remember about the Super Bowl this weekend is Federer posting an old picture of him and Tom Brady and people commenting, goat acknowledging goat. Oh yeah, I saw that, but you know which goat acknowledging goat deserves the spotlight this week? Oh yes, I have a feeling I know who you're talking about. You got it. Serena's tribute to the women known as the fastest of all time, Florence Griffith Joyner, better known as Flojo, in her iconic one-legged catsuit. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Dravia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravi and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hello everyone, so today is February 9th, this is our first episode since the Australian Open has actually started, so we're back in the, in our Grand Slam, Grand Slam schedule of podcast recording. It always takes us a while to, whenever there's like big tournaments going on, or Grand Slams going on, to figure out what our kind of recording schedule is going to be each time. We have to figure out like, you know, when we want to do it. Uh, what time of the day we want to do it. So initially, we were going to record today at <laughs> 5.45 in the morning, but we found an alternative. We did. So currently, me, I am recording at the venue where Shravi and I play tennis. So it's kind of ironic in a way. It works out. But <laughs> definitely, we didn't have trouble, but it was definitely a new challenge figuring out the recording schedule for the Australian Open considering the time difference for sure it's like the place that was that where our on-court companionship was birthed is now where we're having our off the court companionship (laughs) podcast session so when worlds collide I don't know about you but this is pretty pretty uh, perfect right here but to jump into the hot headlines um we wanted to talk about one thing that's people were talking a lot about yesterday So why don't we dive right in? Yeah, starting off, or actually just that, um, Gael Monfils and the kind of mental health issue in tennis. So after his first round defeat handed by up-and-coming Finnish player Emil Roussevori came in five sets, Monfils intended an emotional press conference. So a a, a little bit about Gael. He's a French tennis player known for his trick shots and highlight real match playing style. He reached a career <laughs> high singles ranking of number six, two Grand Slam semifinals, and three Masters 1000 finals. Yeah, so he's obviously, you probably know of him, a very accomplished player. And about a year ago, before the kind of COVID hiatus, um, Monfils was doing really well. He was almost unstoppable. He won, you know, 15 of his 16 last matches. Um, before that break and in Dubai um, he actually held triple match point against Djokovic but then couldn't manage to close out that match and he hasn't won a match since then so I think that you know ever since you know the tour resumed he's had a lot of struggles and you know again he fell in the first round of the Australian Open this time so um, in his press conference uh, which again as Josephina said was very emotional um, he said, 
quote, I would like to, this is translated from French, um, quote, I would like to get out of this nightmare, but I can't. I play badly, I can't make a forehand, I make mistakes, I'm six meters behind the base ta- baseline, no confidence. I'm honest in telling you that I have no confidence. I don't feel good, it shows. I don't need to say more, it shows, I think. And then after being asked what hope he holds on to, he said to nothing. I'll give what my mother said. We must continue to train and it will come back. This is the only trick. And then kind of in the middle of this statement, he broke into tears and then left the conference shortly after. So it's definitely really heartbreaking to see such a joyful and spirited player that we usually see that's known for all his tricks and just smiling uncontrollably on the court break down like this but it's definitely um brought light to what the COVID break and what losing streaks can do to players on tour yeah and then other players actually have also recently spoken out about um mental health specifically ATP players um like Stefano Tsitsipas mentioned it during the NITO ATP finals Yannick Sinner just a couple days ago launched a mental health awareness campaign so you can check out his social media for more on that And the reason we wanted to highlight this specifically is because there is definitely a stigma surrounding mental health in general, especially in professional sports and especially around male uh, professional athletes because, you know, there's like this expectation that they're supposed to be, um, you know, whatever, macho, like, you know, super athletic and... (laughs) But then (laughs) we have Federer crying (laughs) every single time he wants a match. That is, (laughs) that's true. Um, but there's definitely that stigma there, um, so that's why it's really notable to see these players coming out and talking about it, especially um, since the start of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's a good sign, raising awareness about it, being more candid about it, but clearly um, there's a long way that we can go in terms of being more supportive, at least within the tennis world, the world of professional tennis, um, there's definitely a lot to be said about what can what can improve in that regard. And also the fact that we're kind of in a new era of tournaments because these tournaments are being played after long periods of quarantine and for players that are in that were for example in hard quarantine it's even harder and also the lack of fans which sometimes I mean, the fans are what the players play for sometimes, especially talking about Monfi. He plays for the crowd. Like, he lives off the energy of the crowd. So definitely different for players like him. And it's just not the same experience, and it's taking a toll on the players. And just in general, speaking about tennis generally generally as a sport, it's a very individual and isolated sport, especially in singles. So it could be difficult being out there completely alone on the court. It's just sometimes it's not even you battling the opponent, it's you battling yourself. So next up, we have our round one recap of the Australian Open, the first Grand Slam of this year. Um, starting off, we're going to start off with the match of the round. So match of the round is Yannick Sinner versus Denis Shapovalov, the 11th seed. The score ended up being 3-6-6-3-6-2-4-6-6-4. It was a 3-hour and 55-minute match, almost 4 hours, and they were both playing amazing tennis. I know there was a lot of hype leading into this match, and I think it was well-deserved. 
Yeah, I think there's no question in say in picking this as the match of the round. Uh, Yannick Sinner was going into this match with a 10-match winning streak. Obviously, he just came off of the title at the Great Ocean Road Open just a few days ago, and he played a three-hour and eight-minute semifinal versus Karin Kochnov in that tournament. Um, and on the other hand, Denis Shapovalov was coming in with a six-match losing streak. Uh, so, you know, definitely... Uh, they both were coming in with different levels of momentum, but I think people knew that they would both rise to the occasion at the Grand Slam in the first round facing each other. Um, and, you know, people were saying all along that this is this match is literally the perfect example of the future of men's tennis and even maybe a future Grand Slam final. So that was kind of cool because at least for Josefina and I, we always hear about people saying, talking about like when Rafa first came on the tour as a teenager or when Federer first came on and beat Pete Sampras at Wimbledon or stuff like that. And that seems like so long ago for us, you know, before, like, I think before even Josefina <laughs> was born at least. Um, maybe, maybe I was born by then, but now to see it kind of like for the next generation playing right playing out right before our eyes even on the wta side too like you could say for the williams sisters now with like naomi osaka and stuff it's so cool to see kind of like history playing out right before our eyes yeah we're kind of seeing that like change in players like as players that we have known for so long been playing so well at the top of their game getting older and then these new players kind of peeking in and showing what they can do and this was definitely an example of that but you know like some of the best aspects of this match were not even the tennis i mean there's like a little there's a little kind of dilemma in the middle for Shapovalov he had a little bathroom break trouble because he had asked the umpire to get a bathroom break just before the fifth set and the umpire said no because he received treatment for his left shoulder earlier and was denied so then Shambhavala went into this whole rant saying I'm going to pee my pants I'm going to pee in a bottle so that was kind of funny I mean I understand they were under some stress going into the fifth set but the way he took it out was hilarious and we wanted to pay tribute to that with our episode title, um, to pay tribute to Shapovalov's little little dilemma right there. Um, but that was definitely funny. There was also a moment I think when Sinner was trying to like he like paused play for a second because there was like an insect on court or something or on his racket. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened there, but that was also funny. Oh wait, I just realized because it's like the younger players and then talking about peeing their pants um anyways going in yeah it was just a very impressive performance from Shapoval who ended up being the winner and he kept his head in the game played the big points well and I mean the crowd was more in favor of Yannick because like we said he did have that winning streak going into it but either way it was an amazing match from both of them I also think we should note Dennis's outfit. I mean, that was like a pretty, like I was surprised because I think all the other like men's Nike core outfits were like that navy blue situation, but his like, I don't know, Josephine loved it also, but like the baby blue was perfect on him, don't you think? Yeah, and then especially because I think Yannick was also wearing the one that everybody else was wearing. It was kind of like a purple and then the other version of it was a beige one with like a zipper down the middle. But they gave Chop of all of his own shirt. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was 
pretty cool because i mean like his song the one called drip it's like water the color of water (laughs) (laughs) people were making uh, making like really funny jokes with his whole pee in the bottle dilemma and the song drip um i think you can connect the dots (laughs) there yourself but that was also really funny um but on a more serious note um looking after the match in terms of post-match reflections so you know as we know um, Yannick Sinner was coming off of a very grueling week. Um, he had just won the title. He played a super long semifinal match, but he looked for zero excuses. He didn't make any excuses at all, and he really only had praise for Shapovalov. So, some someone asked him in his press conference what his the what the biggest lesson he has learned in the past month for uh, training in Australia has been, and Sinner said, "Quote: I think practice with Rafa." The reason why we came here was to practice with Rafa for two weeks because I think that I think he can give me many things about how to stay on court with the right mentality and I think that's the biggest lesson. Even today it's for me mentally tough losing here in the fifth but it's going to be a lesson as well. So of course we recall that Sinner and Nadal were practice partners in Adelaide and I think this quote and this attitude just goes to show you how mature Yannick Sinner is like at 19 years old. He has such a great outlook on his performance. He knows that it's tough to lose in five sets, but, um, you know, if you catch a glimpse of his other kind of notes from the press conference, he kept saying that, you know, Shapovalov was just better that day. Um, So very impressive attitude and composure from the Italian. And to think that he's only, like, a few years older than us and he already has such a great mindset along with, you know, the sheer talent of his tennis game, I think it's safe to say that this kid is going places i mean we were so incredibly conflicted on who to root for here going into the match not even predicting who would win but just who to root for but honestly we ended up being okay with the results like we talked about this earlier that yannick is so young like he's 19 years old he has a lot of time left in his career so it's find that Shapovalov got the win here. I mean, Sinner has so much time and space to improve. Yeah, and also Sinner's ranking has jumped up to number 32 now after the title. Um, So he only seems to be moving up from there also, but now that he's kind of at that 32 mark, um, and again, his trajectory seems to be upwards, hopefully he'll be seated at the next major so that we don't have to see um, this, you know, someone have to go out in the first round like this next time. But so that's our kind of, again, match of the round. Um, But now we're going to kind of dive into um, some other results on both the WTA and the ATP sides about our top seeds, some of the dark horses, and some great matches to look out for in round two. So starting off with the WTA, um, Ash Barty, the number one seed, world number one, um, is through to the second round, and she defeated Kovacic 6-0-6-0, so a double bagel in the first round. No better way to start off the tournament. And she's going to face fellow Australian Daria Gavrilova, who received a wild card um, in her next match. So very strong tennis from Barty, carrying through that form from last week. And then our uh, second seed, Simona Halep, defeat um australian wildcard lizette cabrera 6-2-6-1 so another easy win there and she's going to face another australian isla tomjanovic in the second round who we're going to talk about in just a bit 
And then next up, we have the third seed, Naomi Osaka, also known as my pick to win the whole Australian Open. She defeated Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova 6-1-6-2. And I mean, I'm going to say, I'm just going to call her Anastasia because that is a long last name. She was a formidable first round opponent, but Naomi made quick work of her. I mean, 6-1-6-2 is definitely quite the score. And Anastasia's win streak no, I mean, Osaka's win streak extended to 15 matches, and she's also one of the three WTA players with an active Grand Slam winning streak, and Sviatik and Andreescu are the other two. I mean, Andreescu hasn't played in a while. That might be why, but that's okay. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Osaka's facing Caroline Garcia in the second round, and again, like we were talking about Shapovalov's outfit, Osaka's is definitely another one, too commend and talk about yeah her outfit at the adelaide exhibition was awesome too the crop top with the leggings but this is like next level i mean you guys should check it out it's like i think it's like a little bit of a leopard print moment um but it's looking really good and i think you know the top players usually have like two outfits um so i wonder if she's gonna pull out her second option uh today and then finally, we have the fourth seed, Sophia Kennan, and the defending champion. She defeated Maddie Inglis, 7-5-6-4. It was definitely a tight first set. Kennan wasn't really playing her best, but then, but then that also makes sense because of the fact that she's coming back the defending champion. There's definitely some nerves incorporated into that. But however, she did pull it together and she ended up winning the whole match and will play the ever-dangerous Kaya Kanepi next. So on the ATP side, our defending champion, world number one, seed number one, Novak Djokovic, also made it through by defeating Frenchman Jeremy Shardy, 6-3-6-1-6-2. So Novak has played Shardy 13 times now and he has never lost a set to him, so he continued that streak. And guess who he's playing next? He's playing American Francis TFO. The two of them have never played before. Um, uh, TFO is often touted as one of those um, strong American tennis players coming through in this kind of next generation. So in my opinion, this could either have the potential to be a super exciting matchup because, as we know, TFO, we talked about this in our previous episode, I believe, TFO has had some significant success at the Australian Open the past few years. Um, so this could either be super exciting or also another classic Djokovic win because we know how comfortable he is um, in Melbourne. Our number two seed, Rafael Nadal, also had a quick win, 6-3, over Laszlo Jere. And hopefully, you know, we were talking about the slight back issue he was having during the ATP Cup. Hopefully that's resolved by now. It's always, you know, it's not great to be coming into a tournament with something lingering. Um, But, you know, I guess only time and, you know, more matches will tell how that holds up. And then our third seed, Dominic Thiem. Uh, defeated Mikhail Kukushkin 7-6-6-2-6-3. The first set was a bit tight, but um, team often, you know, starts out that way, but he was able to, to push through. Next up, we have Daniil Medvedev, the fourth seed. He defeated Vashek Pospisil, who we have heard about in the past year, <laughs> 6-2-6-2-6-4. And it was n- he's not an easy first-round opponent. Like I said, he was definitely someone who he kind of he went pretty late into the U.S. Open rounds, I think. Yeah, I think he made it to the round of 16. Yeah, 
and then, but Medvedev continues his winning streak and extends it to 15. So next up, we have a little section of dark horses that made it through, starting with the WTA. So we have Anne Lee here, and just to sum it up, kind of, a tweet from a British tennis journal- journalist, Tumaini Curiel. Um, Anne Lee, 20, has quietly been one of the breakout players post-hiatus. Now 15-3 on hard courts in Cincinnati with her first slam um, round three at the U.S. Open. Like, her first slam getting to round three at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Okay. First top 20 win in $80,000 title in an ITF. First WTA final in the Grampians Trophy. 10-match win streak and a nice rise from 133 to 69. So, yeah, she's been climbing up ever since last year. We did, I think we talked about her saying that she was going to be a breakout player in the Cincinnati, which is our first episode ever. Yeah, I think in the Western and Southern Open episode, the way we kind of split up the research was that in that one, Josefina would like, was going to kind of highlight some up-and-coming stars or like uh players to look out for. And two of them that she said were Sebastian Corda and Ann Lee. I believe, or I don't know if we ended up including those two in the episode or not, but those were definitely two of the names that we had originally wanted to talk about. Um, I'm I'm not sure if we eventually, like, ended up scrapping that section or not, but you can check our Google Docs edit history. We definitely, Josephina (laughs) definitely wrote them down there. So, I mean, I don't know. Josephina's kind of on fire with these rising American predictions. I mean, I really am. They both broke into the top 100 either late last year or early this year. And, but next up for Anne Lee is definitely a challenge. Elise Cornet in the second round. Yeah. Um, the next dark horse we want to talk about, we always refer to her as a dark horse because people don't talk about her enough, um, Owens Jabor. Um, so there were a few close matches on the WTA side, but... This one, Jabor's first round match versus Petkovic, was also, you know, had its fair share of drama. So she ended up uh, defeating Petkovic 6-3, 3-6, 6-4. And it was getting pretty tense, and Petkovic was not having it. So she kept going over to Owens' box and cursing in G- German. So here I'll read a translation. Uh, Shut up, really now. Every effing point needs to be commented on or what disgusting just babbling again all the time so she was really annoyed by um maybe the way that Jabor's box was cheering owns on during the match um but you know despite all the drama and the three sets it's pretty good that uh owns was able to fight her way through um definitely physically mentally and emotionally uh grueling match um and let's remember that owns jabor was a quarter finalist at the australian open last year that's how she started her breakthrough 2020 season so um we're definitely keeping an eye on her but she does face a tough opponent in anna carolina schmidlova next um who we saw defeat venus at roland garros and who is coming back from uh kind of a little i I believe i don't know if it's an injury or a bit of drop in her rankings but she used to be one of those up-and-coming wta players but um that'll also be a tough match for jabor possibly so uh, hopefully less drama though next up we have the atp dark horses that are through starting off with Danila Swarinka, stand the man, <laughs> who defeated 
um, Pedro Sousa, 6-3-6-2-6-4, and Warrenka said about the match, I think it was a great first round win today. It's never easy to play your first match here. And with this match, he extends his undefeated first round at Australian Open record to 16. And next up, he has a more difficult opponent, Marton Fuskovic. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and as you know, the two of us are certainly keeping an eye on Wawrinka um, because he is Josephina's pick to win, and uh, I would also love to see him win if that happens. Um, it's definitely an out-there pick, but I, we don't think it's completely out of the picture. Um, our next update on the ATP Dark Horses, I don't, again, this guy isn't really a Dark Horse because he's always known as a Dark Horse, but Nick Kyrgios defe- defeated uh, Ferrer Silva 6-4-6-4-6-4 um, in his first round match. So as we remember uh, just last week, he lost to Borna Chorich in two sets. But again, as we know about Nick, he always brings it at the Grand Slams, especially his home slams. So, you know, he's also through here and because the australian open or well because any grand slam is never too short of any drama and because nikirgios is often the source of it (laughs) yeah there was some controversy also kirgios was saying um tell your girlfriend to get out of my box and the only girlfriend that would have been there was his brother so it was definitely weird um but he later you know clarified that it was just in the heat of the moment it didn't mean anything i don't really know what happened there but um (laughs) yeah quite strange um that actually reminds me of when i think it was danielle collins she's also a very you know heated player sometimes at roland girl she was um uh she was yelling at her boyfriend like during her match she was like telling him to get out of her box or like go away i don't know if you remember that but i think we talked about it a little bit but there's there's definitely no shortage of personalities on the tennis tour. Um, speaking of which, uh, personality. Well, I don't. Yeah, my personal favorite, uh, Matteo Berrettini, who we thought would have you know potential upset alert here because he was facing Kevin Anderson in the first round, a multiple time Grand Slam finalist. Um, Berrettini ended up winning 7-6-7-5-6-3, and as you know, he's been one of the players who's been, you know, on the one of the main topics of conversations on the ATP side because of how well so far he's turned around his 2020 season and the way that he started 2021. So he lived up to that after defeating Anderson in straight sets, so that is a very good way to start the tournament, and he's going to play qualifier Thomas Machak next um, so hopefully for Berrettini, um, not as difficult of an opponent in the second round as he had in his first. So next up, we have WTA notable matches and upsets. Starting off with Serena Williams, obviously a classic, who demolished Laura Sigmund 6-1, 6-1, double breadstick. Serena got broken in the first game, but obviously she found her groove as they continued the match. But, okay, give us a second. Let's talk about what she was wearing while she did this. Yeah, her catsuit was pretty iconic. She's had a couple catsuit moments in the Grand Slams. Um, One time, obviously, remember at the French Open. I think even a couple years ago at the U.S. Open, too. Um, But I feel like this is my favorite one of all time. And I'm also super excited to see if she has a second one because we were talking about how 
um, top players sometimes get like two outfits um, for the different sessions. So if she has a second cat suit that we have yet to see, I'm very excited to see that. I mean, as you saw, as you saw in the skit, we were literally talking about how it was inspired by another female athlete that's known as the greatest of all time in her sport. So just that camaraderie between women in sports, just that's everything. Yeah, especially women of color in sports. I thought that was very cool. Yes. So going into um, our next kind of notable match slash upset, um, we have we want to talk about the hard quarantine effect. So. Allison Risk, Maria Sakari, Angelique Kerber, and Victoria Azarenka, all top seeds um, who were in the hard quarantine before the start of the Australian Open, all got upset in the first round, and some of them pretty badly. Kerber in straight sets, um, I believe Azarenka in straight sets too, and Azarenka was really having a lot of like trouble breathing actually on court. She had to call the physio over, so you can see that the hard quarantine definitely had an impact on these players. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about an ATP player who might have also um, suffered from the effects of that, but uh, that hard quarantine was no joke, so clearly it, it kind of threw the players off not being able to practice for those two weeks, but... Unfortunately, I would say that I guess that's just the hard reality of the of, you know, having tournaments in COVID times. Um, and then our next uh, notable win is Bianca Andreescu defeating Buzernescu in three sets because obviously this is her first match back and she won it and she's continuing her Grand Slam winning streak. And as soon as she won it, I mean, you could tell how much it meant to her. Um, she looked up to her box after the win, and she was really emotional, so um, it's great to see her back. And she said afterwards, um, talking about how it was a tough three-set match, she said, quote, Those matches are super good for me, in my opinion, because it really shows that I can scramble when I really need to, or if there's some pressure, I can dig my way back um, through it somehow. When my back is against the wall, not only today, but I've noticed throughout the last my last couple tournaments in 2019, I've been able to pull through with those. So, again, she's currently, actually, as we're recording, playing Shea Su-Wei, um, and she has lost the first set, so we uh, knew this was going to be a tricky match because Shea Su-Wei really does bring it to the big courts, the big matches, the big seeds, and the big tournaments. So um, we'll see how that plays out, but it's looking to be a tricky match at the moment, but um, not completely counting uh, Bianca out of the books just yet. And then next up, we have Venus Williams, who defeated Kirsten Flipkins 7-5-6-2. And Venus did not win a single Grand Slam main draw match last year, so it's really great to see her through to the second round at a Grand Slam, as in the Australian Open. And then we also have Iga Sviatek, who defeated Arangsta, Arangsta <laughs> Rus, and... I mean, I'll take the blame for this one. I didn't think that she could pull through based on her past, I think it was a Yarra Valley Classic or it might have been Melbourne too. But either way, she did lose early in those rounds. So, but with that um, Grand Slam win she had last year at the French Open, she really showed how strong her mental strength is. So she never really should have been doubted. No matter how young she is, you can't discount the fact that she can be mature and handle big matches like these at the Grand Slams. 
Yeah, and then if we go over to the ATP side, our first notable match uh, was Emil Roussevori defeating Gail Monfils, the 10th seed, as we briefly discussed um, in the beginning, 3-6-6-4-7-5-3-6-6-3. So Roussevori is another one of those like younger guys who's kind of creeping up the rankings a bit. Josefina had, um, you know, kind of had an eye on him since a couple months ago because she's just on a roll with, you know, catching a hold of these young up-and-coming players. Um and he actually did pretty well a couple of months ago, reaching the semifinals of the Astana Open. But what's interesting here is that Gail and Emil had been practicing together for the past few weeks. And Emil even said that he found it kind of weird that they would have to play each other so soon. Um, so he said, both of us were a little up and down, and that's how it went to five. But yeah, I was able to come through today and just really happy about that. So that was kind of Rusevori's reflection on the match. And then we obviously covered Gail's um, reflection on it earlier. Um, and I would just say that, you know, um, it was definitely a very emotional press conference. If you, you know, watch some excerpts of it, you'll get a real sense of how, um, you know, distraught and um, kind of sad Momfis was. So I really just hope that he can, you know, take some time to himself to, you know, rest up, relax a bit and, you know, bounce back at the next tournament and find that love for the game again. I know uh, if you remember Alina Svitolina, who is right now Gael Monfils' girlfriend, after she finished her match yesterday, she put the like that little camera sign-off thing. She put Gael in a heart because obviously like she's supporting her boyfriend, and I thought that was really, really sweet. And next up in notable matches or upsets, we have Radu Olbot, who defeated Roberto Bautista Gut, the 12th seed in this tournament, 6-7-6-0-6-4-7-6. So what we were saying before about that hard, hard quarantine effect, this is what we believe RBA was affected by because he was one of those players who was forced to be in hard quarantine. And going into a Grand Slam with little to no preparation in the weeks leading up to it is incredibly difficult. But then again, looking at the opponent, Radu Abot, his victory should not be discounted because he definitely has the potential for big upsets, and we saw that when he upset Shapovalov at the Sofia Open late last year. So just in conclusion, it was a great effort from both of them. Both of them gave it their all, and RBA obviously didn't his level was lowered because of that hard quarantine effect. Our last sort of notable match here is Alexei Popperin um, upsetting David Goffin, the 13th seed, 3-6-6-4-6-7-7-6-6-3. So if you haven't heard of Popperin before, he's um, a young Australian player. Um, he received a wild card into the Australian Open and clearly made the best of his kind of home crowd support um, in his first round match. Gofan, we've talked about it uh, about him before too. He really hasn't had that much success in the past year or so. Um, we saw maybe doing him him doing a little bit better in Antalya, but um, again, hasn't really settled in just yet. Um, and what's well, actually a fun fact is that last year at the U.S. Open, I got to ball person both Gofan and Popperin, although in different matches they didn't play each other. So that's kind of the reason why that I know of. Um, Alexei Popperin and Josefina again being the young player scout that she is also knew about him but Popperin's going to be playing uh, South African Lloyd Harris in the second round who's also um, 
pretty solid player, um, and they played uh, a couple times before against each other, so that'll be an exciting one. Yeah, so speaking of exciting matches and kind of things that are coming up, we're going to do our signature tiebreaker section now where we choose two matches from the next round, which would be the second round of this tournament, and we choose who we think is going to win. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with my two ATP tiebreakers. My first one is Nick Kyrgios versus Ugo Umbert. So we predicted that this was going to come up, and the reason why this match is so important is not only because it's exciting on its own, but because the winner is likely going to face Dominic Team in the third round. So Kyrgios and Umbert have played once before, just last year at Acapulco, um, but Kyrgios retired after losing the first set, so their head-to-head is technically 0-0. But in terms of who I'm picking for the winner, I'm going to say Nick Kyrgios just because there's something pretty awesome about a Nick Kyrgios comeback at the Australian Open uh, that makes me feel pretty confident that he can take this one. Umbert's going to be a tough opponent, but I also think that um, Nick Kyrgios thrives off of these types of events and venues and occasions, um, especially knowing that he's probably going to have to face Dominic Team in the next round, which would be an even more exciting matchup. And then my second tiebreaker features another Australian, Tanasi Kokonakis versus Stefano Tsitsipas, the fifth seed. So it is so great to see Kokonakis back. He was really one of those up-and-coming players just a few years ago, but he's been off and on and off the tour for the past few years with injuries. He even had mononucleosis for a bit. So he hasn't played a full season in a very long time. And right after the match, um, Kokonakis was, you know, very emotional. Um, This is his first Australian Open win in six years, Um, so since 2015. So that is, you know, you can, there's, it obviously makes sense why this means so much to him. Um, And it's even better for him to be able to make this comeback in his home country. And there were some funny things surrounding his win. He actually, um, I think one reporter complimented his outfit or something, and he said that he bought it from Kmart um, just before, so I thought that was that was a nice uh, little glimpse into reality. And that kind of gives a, like a perspective of how much winning meant to him, because I bet now sponsors are going to be lining up for him like really soon. Yeah, he used to be sponsored by Nike, but um, I guess lost that sponsorship now, but I guess he's trying to show that he's back. But what's even funnier is that right after his win, a special someone slid into Tanasi's DMs, and by that special someone, we mean Roger Federer. So Kokinakis posted on his Instagram story a screenshot of Federer DMing him, um, and the message says, nice one, Thanasser, happy for you. And uh, Kokinakis captioned it, what a king, heart eyes emoji at Roger Federer with the goat emoji too. So I think it's kind of funny that they don't follow each other. So like the thing at the bottom says, accept message request from Roger Federer, question mark. So I thought that was kind of funny, but a nice gesture from Federer to do that. And obviously, um, I think everyone's happy for Kokinakis to have gotten that win. But going into his second round match versus Stefano Tsitsipas, I mean, we know how well Tsitsipas can play, especially at the Australian Open, because that's where he made his Grand Slam breakthrough just a couple years ago. Um, in terms of who I think is going to win, I'm going to go with Tsitsipas, just because while I do think that there is upset potential here and that it would be like the perfect Cinderella story for Kokonakis to pull off this upset, 
I still think that right now Sitsipas is the more seasoned and experienced player as of late, um, especially at these higher level events. He looked pretty solid in his first round match too. So while it would be a great story if Tanasi would win, I think it might be too good to be true. But then again, if I'm proven wrong, even as a Sitsipas fan, I'll be okay. And then moving on to my WTA tiebreakers, also two of them. Unfortunately, only two of them because there were so many good WTA round two matches. There was no way I could have <laughs> chosen all of them because honestly, like these combinations are just thrilling. So first up for my tiebreakers, I have Karolina Pliskova, the sixth seed versus Daniel Collins. So this match would certainly be an interesting one because they played just last week at the Yara Valley Classic where Collins actually upset Pliskova, who was the third seed in that tournament. And as we've talked about in other episodes, even probably earlier in this one, Pliskova has had like an up and down season for the past year and her results are pretty inconsistent. While Collins, on the other hand, has made two consecutive quarterfinals, first at the French Open and then at Yara Valley Classic. So their match, like the results, are really thrown up in the air because of that momentum the lower seed actually has going into that match. And then next up we have Coco Golf versus Alina Svitolina, the fifth seed. Oh wait, I have to choose a winner. I'm going to choose Daniel Collins. <laughs> Um, because like I said, she has that momentum going into the tournament, so or the match. So I think she has really good chances here. Next up, we have Coco Golf versus Alina Svitolina, the fifth seed. I mean, Coco is the talk of all Grand Slams when it comes to the first few rounds, and because of her, a sixteen-year-old getting to the second round of a Grand Slam is the new normal. So I just think that's really cool. And Svitolina, as we know, is a top-ranked player. She had a really solid season last year, and she's just kind of getting into her groove this year, which is completely normal considering the season is completely new. And we haven't seen much of Coco, but she defeated her last opponent 6-3-6-2, so definitely good momentum going into this match, but I'm going to give it to Svitolina because she is the more experienced player when it comes to Grand Slams, and... She knows how to get a win, so I'm gonna. I'm confident in her win. For my WTA tiebreakers, my first one is Simona Halep versus Isla Tomjanovic. So this might not sound like a, much of a tiebreaker to you at first, given that Halep is the second seed and Tomjanovic is unseeded, but let me explain. So um, I've been a Tomjanovic fan uh, for almost like a year, I would say. Um, before I knew that she was dating Matteo Berrettini, so I do actually like her because of her game. I can actually, I can, I can, um, what's Vouch. called, attest to that, yeah. Okay, yeah, see, so, um, I really like her, um, and obviously her dating Matteo is a plus, uh, a cherry on top, but, um, regardless of that, Halep and Tomjanovic have played three times before, and their matches have all been really close. So while Simona has won all three of their meetings, two of those met, went to three sets, and the most recent one, which was in Adelaide last year, Halep won 6-4, 7-5. So again, tight sets. Um, 
Isla commented uh, after her first round win, I've played Simona a few times, it's always been close. I do feel like if I execute my game plan, I do have a chance. I've got nothing to lose, but I do believe I can put myself in a really good position. So here's why I'm picking Tomjanovic for the win. So it doesn't, it's not going to be easy, uh, given that she's going up against a Grand Slam champion. But, I mean, she seems confident going into it. She's played her a few times before. She knows that she can challenge Halep. She has that experience with her game. And she's coming off of a really commanding 6-2, 6-1 win over Misaki Doi in the first round. So she has that momentum as well as the knowledge from her previous matches that she does have the potential to succeed here and pull off the win. And also, you know, while I don't want to count Halep out kind of like we did with Sviatek with her upset last week, but, you know, she did lose to Alexandrova just last week um, in one of the tune-up events. So, I mean, I would say that there is definitely, I mean, it's a Grand Slam, totally different ball game. But I would say given the their past three matches and Tomjanovic attitude going into this, I think that Isla does have a chance. And then my second tiebreaker is one that we also kind of predicted might happen, which is Sophia Kennan versus Kaya Kanepi. So the defending champion versus the woman who just took out Sabalenka, Kazakina, Muhoba, and Alexandrova to reach the Gypsland Trophy Finals. So that is exactly why I'm picking Kanepi for the win, because as we said before, Sophia Kennan seemed a little nervous, well, pretty nervous in her first round match versus Inglis. It was kind of tight. Um, she was also kind of seeming that way versus Pagula last week. Um, Jesse Pagula is also someone we should be keeping an eye out for. And Kanepi, like Pagula, has been pulling off these upsets and good wins for the past couple of weeks. So since she's on a roll, pulling off these upsets left and right, I do think that Kanepi, kind of like how she was super dangerous in the 2017 U.S. Open, has a major chance right here to pull off the upset for the and dethrone the defending champion. So... Finally, for my ATP tiebreakers, my first one is Casper Ruud, the 24th seed, versus Tommy Paul. So I think that even though they're not the highest-ranked players, and that might not that might be something that doesn't really draw people to the match, I think it's going to be a pretty close one because they've both been kind of playing on the same level of tennis. And I think it's always really good when we see a good matchup of levels in tournaments because even if they're not the most famous players, it can still be a really good match that provides some great tennis. So I think they're, like I said, I think their result is going to be pretty close, but actually favoring Rude because of his experience in larger tournaments. And my second ATP tiebreaker is Alexei Poporin the wild card versus Lloyd Harris so Shravi talked about this one a little bit when she talked about Alexei getting through as a dark horse to the second round so Poporin just came off of that upset of um David Goffin so he's definitely on a roll and while this result may be close because Lloyd Harris is one of those he's higher ranked than Popperin. I'm choosing this match as more of a let's keep an eye out for Popperin because like we said he is on a roll and he's one of those young players that they can have this burst of momentum and then suddenly just keep winning after that so this can definitely be one of those cases and Harris did win their last two matchups the last one being at the French Open in September but I'm gonna give it to Alexei because of his recent momentum and his home court advantage 
So we're going to be keeping an eye out for all these players, including the multiple Aussies that we've outlined. But as round two has just gotten started, let's see how our tiebreaker predictions fare. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at HOTYR underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released on Thursday, where we will recap round two action at the Australian Open and preview round three. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Ben and Shravya's name is Harry. See you next time. <laughs>